0: Listen, honey, listen, honey. Listen, honey, listen, honey. Listen, honey. Oh my gosh. I cannot begin to tell you how excited I am about my guests today because I'm going to be busting out with all the questions that I have zero answers to and I have zero friends that have given me direction on how to answer. And that is why I'm so pleased to have with us resident psychologist at Oprah Magazine and the founder of Therapy for Black Girls, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford. Dr. Joy is what, what I'm putting you in my phone as.
1: <laughs> I appreciate it.
0: I'm excited to have you here specifically before, because of the kids part. The mm-hmm. kids part, the fact that I, I see your Instagram and mm-hmm. you go straight in on the hard-hitting topics that we adults are talking about but you interlace them into kids at all ages, it seems. So first, Mm -hmm. tell me about Therapy for Black Girls. What exactly is that business?
1: Yeah, so Therapy for Black Girls is designed to be a community focused on the mental health and wellness of Black women and girls. So our mission really is to make information and experiences that are relevant and accessible for Black women and girls. So we try not to use a lot of jargon and all the million-dollar words, but to really look at all of the small ways that we can prioritize our mental health. And
0: what made you realize that this business needed to be founded?
1: Well, a lot of my focus in grad school and throughout my training has been looking at the different ways that mental health impacts the Black community as opposed to other communities. And, you know, there's a lot of stigma still related to mental health and therapy in the Black community. So I wanted to make sure that I created a space where people felt like it was accessible, where people felt comfortable talking about some very difficult topics sometimes. Mm. Now, before I go into my
0: questions, I want to ask for you, Dr. Joy, like where did you grow up and what was mental wellness like for you growing up or what did therapists sound like for you? Like what kind of conversation about that did you have in your household?
1: Yeah, I don't remember having any conversations right. honestly about mental health, right? So I grew up in Louisiana, a very small town, um, you know. But I don't remember ever having any conversations about mental health and wellness. It wasn't until high school, um, so we ab- we were able to take like a satellite psychology class, and I fell in love with the field and knew that it was something that I wanted to pursue.
0: What's a satellite psychology class? <laughs>
1: so we, I'm like, are you talking to astronauts here? Like, what's happening? It must have been like a pre-recorded something so they would like roll a little TV into the classroom and we yeah. would watch the instructor and then like take, you know, tests and stuff on our book and I guess they would mail it in or something. Um yeah. but the person wasn't there teaching us. Interesting.
0: My memory of the word psychology started out as the word counselor. So I remember when I was younger, I went to Cherrywood Elementary in San Jose and I was the only Asian kid in a predominantly black and latino school and I I had different ways of handling confrontations and was always fighting. Right, so I remember I overheard a conversation with my mom and dad that I was problematic, and that I had anger issues, um, and I didn't manage the criticisms and the you know the the bullying that the kids gave me. She didn't call it bullying though, even though it was you know things like you know making fun of my language because I spoke Vietnamese first until like about first second grade. And then also um, just, you know, the, the, the weird things that kids would do, like pulling their eyes, you know, like slits and, and, and making fun of my language. Okay, so I remember coming up to this, this brown door and it said counselor on it. And there was a row of bad kids. I knew who, you know who the bad kids are in school. And so I was sitting in the row and I remember going in and it was this white woman who had a clipboard and she was asking me questions that were like, you know, Why do you think you behave this way? Why did you yell at that person? What's going on at home? And every question I was thinking, am I gonna get my parents arrested? Am I is something wrong with my head? And and I wasn't, I didn't feel at all safe and I was worried that I was gonna be sent off somewhere. So I was answering questions very carefully to make sure that I wasn't (laughs) gonna be sent off somewhere. So that's my first recollection of it, right? Wow. And then now, fast forward to 40 years old when i had when i started to look into you know being able to get therapy here i am going through a series of of questions for my therapist to find out you know their 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 the way that they got their licenses and what their primary focuses were and then when i found the right one that fit me i heard questions that were more like tell me about your upbringing and tell me about what happens when you get frustrated mm-hmm. how do you feel how does it make you feel when you don't feel heard or validated? Mm-hmm. And you know the word validated. And I realized, wow, you should have a relationship with your counselor or your therapist so that you feel yeah. safe to open up. And that's the right. only goal money to afford one. Mm-hmm. And when I was, um, when it started to feel okay to have a counselor, like the word wellness and the word mm-hmm. um, health and, 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 and things like that were associated with it instead of crazy. So right. for you, like how... From what you grew up understanding to now, how much different or evolved do you think the Black community sees therapy or counseling?
1: You know, Jeannie, you raised some really good points, right? Because I think for a long time, mental health and psychology have been used in very punitive ways in the Black community. So children have been taken from families because of something that a therapist has said. Um, So, you know, I think a lot of people still hold on to those ideas about what, what might be done if somebody shares what I share with the therapist. So I think that that is a part of what makes it very difficult. Uh, but I also think that lots of Black people grow up with this idea of what goes on in this house stays in this house, right? So the idea of talking to a stranger about some very personal information just feels very uncomfortable. And because why? lots of us... Hmm? Why? Before you explain
0: what hap- what's the result of that, why do you think that is? that things got to stay in this house?
1: Yeah, because I think it has not always been safe to share what is going on in your house, right? So if we've seen a neighbor who's had their child removed because somebody told something, or, you know, do people look at you weird or think that something's wrong with your parenting because of what your child might share? So I think it has not always felt safe. um, And there's lots of evidence to talk about that. It was not safe for people to share the things that they were struggling with. So I think we're working against that. But also the fact that, you know, my generation and maybe the generation before are really the only ones who are now becoming comfortable with mental health, like you said, Um, you know, so there's no history. There's nobody for us to ask, like, what happens when you see a therapist and like what kinds of things can you talk about? Right. Um, So I think because it is becoming much more okay for people to share. You see people on social media all the time talking about, this is what my therapist said today, and I want to share it with you. So I think we are becoming much more comfortable as a community talking about it. But I do think that there's still a lot of work left to go.
0: Absolutely. Well, these days have been echoing a question for me that I've been asking my friends who have kids. So, you know, coming from the Bay Area, mixed races is is common, right? Mm-hmm. You don't you usually, you actually see more mixed race kids than you do one race. And when I would talk to these parents, I've heard a myriad of responses when it comes to race from, I don't talk to my kids about race because I don't want them to focus on it. Mm-hmm. I don't want them to see color to I make sure that they know they're Latina or I make sure that they know their black roots. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also have adoptive parents Uh, parents that want to adopt. I actually have one particular couple of friends that are a gay white couple who were really hoping to adopt a black child. Mm -hmm. But given the circumstances of today, they said, we want to step out of that because we don't want to make it even more difficult for a black child to have to answer to the fact that they have gay parents. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So this was this was pre George Floyd, right? Mm-hmm. And so now today, obviously, you can't go anywhere without knowing that we are at a war right now with racism. Mm-hmm. And what's really made me feel—I don't know why—but it's made me feel very um, um, encouraged is to see parents bringing their children out to protests. Although we know, obviously, you have to make sure it's—it's it's very, you know, they're, they're in safe conditions. But you're seeing kids that are going to grow up knowing exactly what the hell is going on today. Mm -hmm. So for a child, what age is appropriate to bring up the topic of race? And is it good to bring up at a young age? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I think even the framing of some of that, Jeannie, is very privileged. So I think white parents don't always have to consider the idea of bringing up race, right? Because it feels like This is just something that maybe they will learn at some point. Whereas, you know, I'm the mom of two little black boys. And so it has been in my mind, even before they were born, what am I going to talk to them about in terms of? being Black boys and Black men eventually in the world. And so I think even the idea that you wouldn't even at very early ages have to talk with your kids about race comes from a very privileged place, right? Um, and so, mm-hmm. you know, like you mentioned, like your friends, um, it's very important for me, for my kids to understand who they are as Black boys in the world. They have Black boy toys and books that have black uh, characters and those kinds of things like it's really important for me for them to see themselves in lots of different ways um and my little ones are four and six so we are just now with my six-year-old kind of getting in to conversations about how they may be seen differently in the world but I think around the age of five or six is when you want to begin talking with children about what race means in the world. And I think that that is a conversation that white parents can't shy away from. So this idea of seeing people as colorblind, like I don't see color. Well, if you don't see color, then you don't see a part that is very central to who I am. And so while I understand the intent of wanting to try to help and raise your child as somebody who's colorblind, it really is invalidating and causing probably a lot more problems than it is actually helping. And so I think it's really important to start talking with your kids about how they might see people who treat people differently um, just because of the color of their skin and what they can do to intervene in a situation like that. And that it's not OK to treat people differently or unfairly because of what they look like. So, Dr. Joy, if I were to
0: get a peek inside your home mm-hmm. and listen to a talk about race, how, mm-hmm. what age did you start your boys off at? what does it sound like? Is it over dinner casually or is it like a, an official sit down?
1: Well, I think it, it has gone, it goes back and forth, like kind of ebbs and flows in terms of the seriousness versus, you know, just casually, like it is a very much a part of us just sharing our culture with our boys, right? So they have, um, both myself and my husband both attended HBCUs so they understand what it means to be on a, an HBCU campus and um, my sister-in-law's graduated from HBCUs and so talking about those kinds of things and what it means to go to homecoming and stuff like that so there are our, just conversations about what that means. But we also, like I said, have books and literature around the Black experience. So there's a series of books called Little Legends and Little Leaders that talk about important Black figures throughout history. And so reading those as time stories has been really important for them to understand what kinds of things Black people have created in the world and those kinds of things. So up until this point, um, it really has just been more about them understanding the history and, you know, being proud of being Black in the world. Now, because of everything that has been happening, and my six-year-old is very inquisitive and wants to understand, um, so we have started having conversations about the fact that people may not treat you the same in the world because of what you look like. And of course, and and this is a part that I find really resentful, of as a parent, because it feels like so many, again, white parents don't have to have that conversation with their child. And so I have avoided that conversation for a very long time because I feel like now I have kind of taken away some innocence from my child that he cannot just grow up and be childlike and worry about Beyblades and Ninja Turtles like other kids can, because there is this part that I need him to understand in an effort to keep him safe. And so I thought that um, if last weekend, I'm not sure if you're aware, but Sesame Street had this whole kids town hall about racism. And I thought that with Elmo, yes, and especially the conversation with Elmo and his dad about protesting, I thought was really, really helpful. And my six year old was able to get that, that, you know, people don't like what's happening. And that's why it's important to, you know, make it known when we're not happy with something so that things can change. So I think that there have been lots of great resources that we've been able to use as a part of our parenting that have made things a little easier. Um, But of course, it's not perfect, right? Because again, we went back and forth about what to say and is he too young and too old? Now, my four-year-old really doesn't, you know, understand very much of what's going on. Um, But I would imagine that once he gets five or six, we'll have some of those same conversations with him as well.
0: Absolutely. So you said your youngest is six. So I'm assuming you started even before six? making sure
1: My youngest is four.
0: Oh, your youngest is four, and then you have one that's six, right? And so, out the jump, they need to know and be proud of who yes. they are and what their culture is, right?
1: Right. That has I been understand. very important for us.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. No. That's totally true. And, mm-hmm. um, God, the the Sesame Street thing. You're right. That's the only. Am I wrong in thinking that's the only uh, publicly available publication or Production that I've seen that talks very openly about the protests.
1: Yeah, that's the only one that I've seen. I haven't seen anything else targeted to kids, and it definitely was done very well. Now, there are lots of books for kids just about like skin color. Um, like one of my colleagues, Dr. Bedford Palmer, has a book called Daddy, Why Am I Brown that addresses some of these same issues. So I think that there are lots of like children's books that get into these issues, um, but the Sesame Street town hall is the only like video like thing that I've seen to address like protesting specifically.
0: Right. Dr. Joy, you said something that stood out to me. You said the privilege of white parents is that they don't have to talk to their kids about their skin color.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Even though they don't have to. Am I wrong for thinking they should? Oh, they absolutely should. I mean, because we know that there are tons of research where we know that things like bullying, like you said, start very, very early. So If you're not having those conversations with your kids at around the ages of five and six, then it's very likely that they could become perpetrators of bullying against somebody who looks different from them. So it is important for you to have conversations with them about how not to bully based on lots of different things, but also how you intervene if you see somebody else bullying someone. All
0: right, Dr. Joy, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, I would love to talk to you about how to talk to non-Black kids about what's going on. That's the number one conversation I'm having with my non-Black friends and parents on how to talk to their kids. And I would love to hear straight from you. What are some of the words that we should be using in our homes when we come back? I'm here with Dr. Joy, who is not only an amazing psychologist, but the founder of Therapy for Black Girls and the resident psychologist for Oprah Magazine. Doctor, today there is a responsibility to everybody, black and non-black, to speak about racism, to understand what privileges we we get from the systemic racism that is out there, and to have a talk with our kids about the state of our society. What do you think is the most important things parents that are non-Black should be telling their kids right now?
1: I think the most important thing that people who are non-Black can be telling their kids right now is how to intervene if they see somebody doing something that is not okay. So again, it's not enough to just say that we are raising kids to be colorblind. I think it's really important to make sure that you're teaching your kids to be anti-racist. And so the the teachings and readings and things are focusing much more on how to teach kids to be anti-racist because anti-racist is a much more active kind of a stance as opposed to the passiveness of I'm going to be colorblind and I'm just going to treat everybody fairly because we know that that doesn't always happen.
0: Wow, I love that you just jumped the whole step first first of all of giving everybody equal love but going right into when or if you see a situation you need to know how to stand up.
1: Mm-hmm. for mm-hmm.
0: people and you need to know how to say what's right. So let's just give it again. I'm all about scripts because when I see it, I understand how I can put the conversation into my own words and how I can tell my friends. For example, I'm going to give you a perfect example. Uh-huh. you Remember the show Roseanne, right? Yeah. And remember it came back mm-hmm. and all the same cast members came back and everything. Right. right. And then Roseanne went and tweeted some pretty horrific things, mm-hmm. right. That showed her true, her true thoughts and, and, And it immediately ended the show and everybody lost their jobs. Right. So I grew up watching Roseanne and even though I didn't relate to it, it looked and sounded, all the scripts sounded like the conversations we were having. What kind of grades Darlene got? Who's dating who? What happened at so-and-so's job? But when that happened, when that happened to Roseanne in real life, what I really wish the show did was took that exact real life situation and brought it into the show where they have a candid discussion about, what mom tweeted, what mom said at work, mm-hmm. how she lost her job, and what happens now. Because yeah. we all know that we're susceptible to something that could have been inappropriately said. And you can mm-hmm. absolutely lose your job, if not worse. Yeah. So what does that conversation sound like at home when grandma, grandpa, auntie, or your brother or sister, or you say some crazy-ish, mm-hmm. lose your job or 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 get confronted with it, come home, and now face your family as you have this open discussion about how you all feel about this and why it's wrong. So let's say, let's say your child is in elementary school mm-hmm. and you now are letting them know that anything can happen when it comes to the world of bullying. If they are to see a situation, what exactly should they do?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think it is always important to empower, especially a kid in elementary school, to know how to look for the adult. Um, So it doesn't necessarily be that the child needs to jump in between the two people. Right. But can you find a teacher and tell them what's happening? But I think, Jeannie, even before we get to the intervening place, we need to look at what examples we are setting for our kids. So I think it's really hard to tell your kid about making sure that you treat everybody fairly and it's okay to have friends that look different ways if you yourself do not have circles that look different ways, right? So you can't expect your child to really understand like what it means to be different from other people culturally and to have genuine friendships if you are not doing that same thing. And so I think it's first important that we as parents do our own work around our own racist beliefs, whether those be known to us or unknown. I think it's really important for us to hone in on those kinds of things before we even talk to our kids because then otherwise we look like a hypocrite, right? So how can mom tell me about this thing when she does not have any friends that don't look like her? So I think it's important that we back up and make sure we're doing that work first.
0: Wow. That's absolutely true. You've got to live it out so you can actually see the relationships. You can feel the energy and the vibe right? as you are welcoming and opening to other cultures and then begin to understand why, because that's when you start to feel the, the, that's when you actually feel the tangible relationship you should have with other people and you empathize with the things that they may be going through.
1: Right. Right. And not in an exceptional way, right? Like not, oh, we have this one brown family who we're really good friends with, but like everybody else is not like them, right? You don't want to do any tokenizing or, you know, making somebody be the example for their entire culture. But I think when you do have genuine, authentic relationships, when people come from different cultures, then it does open up your worldview. It allows you to see the world from a different vantage point, And our children can pick up on that. Let's say you're in a situation where your community
0: is not as diverse as you'd like it to be. Mm -hmm. I hear situations where non-black families live in predominantly white neighborhoods, or they don't have the luxury to be able to go to a diverse school. So it's all people who look like their same race. What can you do at that point as a parent?
1: Mm hmm. So I think that is when you look at what kinds of extracurricular activities your kid is involved in. So are they on a soccer team? Um, can you take them to play on a soccer team that is maybe a little further out, but that allows them to have more diverse teammates? Um, are they in something like Cub Scouts? And can you take them again a little further so maybe they have a more diverse troop? Um, so I think you have to be intentional when you are wanting to seek out those kinds of experiences for your child, because it may not be just a given in your neighborhood. But I also think that you want to think about, like, where you live, right? Like, it's likely that you made a decision purposely about where you live. Now, that doesn't mean everybody pick up and move and, you know, go somewhere else. But I do right. think, again, we have to examine our own intentions and our own actions as adults and think about how those things then impact how we're able to parent in the, the world that we give our children.
0: Do you agree with the statement, racism is taught?
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There is no... Um, So I've seen theories about racism being a mental illness and all of these different things. And I think all of that is an attempt to, for people to not accept responsibility for the fact that they engage in some very racist behaviors. Um, And so it may not necessarily be a conscious kind of thing, but I do think that there are ways that people need to examine their own implicit bias. And we all have them, right? Like we all have these ideas just based on, you know, things that we've read, Um, shows that we've watched, what we've heard our own parents say, all of that stuff is filed away. And so I think that's why it is important to make sure that the messages that our kids get are more affirming and more inclusive of people than maybe some of the messages that we've gotten as adults.
0: What do you think are some of the biggest mistakes or things that parents overlook when it comes to race? Most common mistakes that you might catch that you're like, maybe that's not a great thing to say, or maybe that's not a great way to handle that situation.
1: Yeah. I think one of the most common things I see is people attempting to raise kids in a colorblind society and thinking, thinking that that's enough when really it is not enough. And like I said earlier, it is actually very harmful. So it's really important for you to teach kids that people do look different, that we show up in the world in different ways, but that there is no one way that is better or lesser than the other, that it is all really just about difference. Um, and again, I think we also fall short when we don't have more diverse friend groups, both for ourselves and for our children. Um, you know, so it's one thing for your kids to maybe go to a diverse school. But if at their birthday parties or the things that they do outside of the, the classroom, day don't also include a diverse group of kids, then really what message are you sending to your children? So I think that those are the two areas that I would encourage people to really focus on.
0: There was one post that you put up, Dr. Joy, that I found really thought-provoking, and it was when you said, now is not the time to be testing your relationships. Mm -hmm. You said, if someone is not responding the way you would have imagined, they respond in a global pandemic, it might be a sign that they could actually benefit from you reaching out to them. Mm -hmm. This was at a time when we were more focused, I remember, you know, the beginning of COVID, and now I feel that we're in a racist pandemic. Mm -hmm. so how do you feel about reaching out or how do you feel about the conversations that are going on or not going on between us and our friends, especially if your parents, you know, your Mm -hmm. parents are touching base with each other. How have you been handling that? what's your advice to other parents when it comes to seeing how people react to the times right now? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. So I have been seeing lots of messages, Jeannie, about like checking in on your black friends. Um, And I think that again, while that may be well-intentioned, we need to think about the impact that that kind of thing has, right? Because you may have like one set of black friends, but then you need to think about like, who all else thinks of the same person or same family as their one black friend as well. And think about the burden that you are maybe putting on somebody in terms of like <laughs> trying to check in. Right. You know, because it, it may be like a kind gesture, but if this isn't somebody that you talk to like in more than a year, like what is really driving that, you know? So I think some of those check in on your black friends kinds of things is really about people like absolving themselves of their own guilt as opposed to actually being helpful for the person, you know, so it's like, what do you want me to say at this check-in? Like, so now I'm responsible for like responding to you in a way that maybe is not offensive or whatever, and it really is just putting more work on your black friends, especially right now where we are still trying to, you know, survive through COVID nineteen, and now we are also continuing to be assaulted, you know, through racism. And so think about the impact that that's having, and if right now is actually the time where you need to be checking in on people.
0: Mm, That's so, that's so true. You're right. What I love is most of your advice is just taking yourself out of your, your little situation of what you think you're supposed to be saying or what your relationship is with your kid and coming out to a bird's eye view to be Mm -hmm. mindful about your lifestyle, your relationships and other people and how they're dealing with things, not just what you need to do or what you need to go say.
1: Yeah. And I think that that is a great starting point for lots of different things in our life, right? It's to just be less self-absorbed, you know, to not think so much about what I need in this moment, but what do other people need and what is actually going to be the impact of whatever I'm thinking about doing as opposed to what I feel like I need in this moment.
0: Right, right. And now that you've been i'm assuming at home kind of homeschooling your kids mm-hmm. and kind of doing everything much more full <laughs> throttle than the norm yes. how are you and i how are you and your man i'm assuming you're married partner yeah. uh-huh, my okay. husband. Yes. Yeah. so how are you at home as parents making sure you get qt time because i know that things got to be right between you two to make sure that the home feels the peace and the joy right, right. so yes. Yeah. how are you getting that, maybe some romance, maybe some quality time. What's advice that you have for parents out there that are doing the same thing you're doing these
1: days? (laughs) Yeah, that is really so important, you know, because everything is just blurring together. You know, the workspace looks like the school space looks like everything else. Right. (laughs) Um, So it is important to still make sure that you're carving out that time. So, We typically, of course, will like just stay up a bunch later after the kids. So we will watch Netflix together and stuff like that. Um, Also, you know, sometimes like Saturday nights are typically our nights to kind of spend together. Um, And so, you know, you put the kids to bed a little earlier than you can have some, you know, time with your partner. Um, But also doing things as a family. I have found, you know, while there have been, you know, just awful tragedies related to this, I think that this has also afforded people, especially us, Sometimes to slow down and to be able to connect as a family in ways that we weren't because we were, okay, it's time to go to school, it's time to go to soccer, it's time to, you know, so everything was moving so fast. And this has really allowed us to have, you know, opportunity to like, have a picnic in the driveway or ride our bikes around the neighborhood, you know, and we weren't doing that before, you know, so I think it has also allowed us to be more creative about how to really spend some intentional time together as a family.
0: Absolutely. Tell me something that's happening now in your household post quarantine that didn't happen before that you're really thankful for.
1: Mm, I think that we have been able to have much more quality time with our kids. Um, You know, so before again, the schedules were really packed. I was traveling a lot. And so it was really just kind of come and go. Um, And so this has really afforded us the time to really, you know, have movie nights with them, to really check in with them about how they're feeling and what do they understand about everything that's happening. Um, so I, I have been appreciative of the slower pace and the more intentional time with them.
0: Absolutely. And how are you, Dr. Joy, getting the, the you know, the relaxation or any type of refueling that you need as a mom and as a doctor and as a yes. wife?
1: Yes, yes. So I My schedule is typically completely closed to anything else on Fridays. Um, so I spend the whole day just reading or, you know, hanging out by myself, playing Animal Crossing. That's a new thing I have begun to love. <laughs> are you serious? You're one of them? I oh am, my <laughs> which is so hilarious because I am not a gamer. Like the last video game I probably played was the original Mario Brothers. Um, so the, the, <laughs> the little characters are so cute. I couldn't help it. Um, so I typically spend my Fridays really just alone for most of the day, um, just re-unwinding from everything else through the week. Um, I have a regular appointment with my own therapist on Tuesday, so that has been a huge part of my continued self care, so that I can continue showing up for my community.
0: Wait, I've never asked this, but yeah, I've <laughs> never asked that if psychologists have their own therapists. Yes,
1: absolutely, absolutely. Yes, yes, at least so, I do. So,
0: so for you, psychology or therapy is a way of life. Mm-hmm. If you are, once you're, oh, you've tapped into it, it's almost like exercising. It's not something you just do and all of a sudden you end. Right. It's something to keep you balanced and to keep you evolving.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, What's it has your- been incredibly helpful for me, especially, you know, like entrepreneurship was not something that I necessarily set out to do. It kind of happened. Um, and so there have been lots of challenges, like just, continue- just related to like growing my business and those kinds of things that therapy has been incredibly helpful for, for me.
0: A lot of people will say, and they're not wrong, that therapy is really expensive, Mm -hmm. that it's not something that it it is a massive privilege. Yeah. What can you offer or suggest to those people who are open to therapy, but just can't find the means to afford it?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there is a great platform called the Open Path Collective. Um, that has therapists that provide um, services for between $30 and $50 per session. So that may be something that people can look into. But I I recognize that even $30 to $50 could be expensive for people. Um, So when we are able to kind of gather in a more natural way than we can now, I'd also encourage people to look into their local training clinics. So universities and colleges that have people training to become therapists will usually have some kind of clinic where they offer services to the community for free or very low cost, sometimes like 5 or $10 per session. So that's another option. Um, and while it's not therapy, um, you know, there are ho- tons of like podcasts and books That can be really, really helpful for people to get some insight into what's going on with them. That can provide great strategies for people to manage different kinds of symptoms. So there are lots of resources, both free and maybe a little bit more costly, for people um, who want some help but may not be in a position to afford it financially at this time.
0: Oh, that's such a good suggestion. I never thought about the psychologist or therapist in training. Yes. And we have access to so many schools and colleges around us for yes. community access. That's so good. Yes. I'm not a psychologist, but I will tell you one thing that I do on the regular now that would have really helped me back then is meditation and breathing.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's so
0: easy and it's so free. And mm-hmm. what I'm noticing now, especially in the police department, um, as we're arguing back and forth about defunding the police or reallocating the funds and all that, what I'm noticing is we're giving people power where they've got anger management issues. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we talk a lot about microaggressions and all that. But I find that that callous of having anger management problems starts very, very young. Mm-hmm. I mean, we see kids who aren't mature enough to know how to handle themselves throwing tantrums and throwing themselves on the ground. And, you know, um, do you think it's, it maybe needs to be a necessary idea to start impl- implementing meditation and breathing exercises So
1: to parents so that they may- maybe they can teach their kids? Absolutely. Yeah, that's one thing. So my kid's school actually started doing that. And I was like, wow, this is so great. You know, but I think it is something that like comes so natural that we don't think about breathing. But I think sometimes we don't recognize that we like are so tense or so stressed that we're actually holding our breath, right, or feeling really tense in our shoulders. And so I think, Teaching kids at a very young age to be in touch with their body and where, you know, if I'm nervous, where does that feel like in my body? Is it in your stomach? Is it in your head? You know, so teaching kids to just be much more connected to their body, I think is something that will serve them well way throughout life. Just understanding how to take a moment, you know, do you need to take yourself out of a situation that feels like it's overwhelming for you? I think that those are great skills that'll be helpful for a kid throughout their life.
0: Oh, so good. Doctor, this is awesome. Okay. So I want to give a little gift to the parents right now when it comes to being overwhelmed, doing everything at home, not having enough time for yourselves. Like what are some parting words from you to parents out there? If you were just kind of going to give, if you were to tell them one thing that would just help them feel like everything's going to be all right, what would you tell them?
1: Yeah, so this is something that I remind myself of often, so that I offer this to you as well, is to remember that we are all just doing the very best that we can. Nice. None of us were prepared to come into the situation of teaching and working and all of those things from home. And so it's important to remember that you don't have to get a gold star right now, that if you can just keep everybody safe and healthy, then you have succeeded.
0: Oh, I love that. Thank you so much, Dr. Joy. Where can we follow you, find
1: you, get more of your beautiful healing words? Yeah, so you can follow me across social media at Hello, Dr. Joy. And then definitely check out the website, therapyforblackgirls.com, where you can connect with a the therapist or check out our podcast. Oh,
0: I love it. Dr. Joy, you are a joy to spend time with. Thank you so much. I feel like I was able to sit down for a session with you. I appreciate you. I support your work. And everybody, please do follow at hello, Dr. Joy on Instagram, because it was a joy for me to just scroll through all your amazing posts. Thank you. And um, I, I hope that you were able to take away from this some insight to know that you've got this. Everybody, every parent out there, you absolutely have the answers You just need to be easier on yourself and and be okay to reach out and ask the questions and look up the sources that that are around you so that you can answer the questions that you don't have. and I also want to say, if you did like this video, please rate and review because I didn't realize, to be honest with you, that a lot of my listeners were parents until I checked into my reviews and heard a lot of parents stressed with how to handle their kids. So, Dr. Joy, you were a blessing that, that came up to me in the time of need. So, thank you for helping all my listeners out there. So, this is a, so, such an important reason why I need you guys to rate and review the episodes and let me know what you would like to learn more about because. Using my podcast as a privilege to be able to help other people is, is such a, um, a blessing to me. So, thank you so much, Doctor. And do take care of yourself. Be safe out there. Listen, you too,
1: Jeannie. Listen, honey, listen, honey. Listen, honey, listen, honey.